What? Family. Family. Heaven. Food. Health. God. What? Being here. Shelter. Babies. Yeah. Jesus. Thanks. Okay. All right. Kids, you have gotten A plus. A plus. Work. All right. Adults time. What else? What do you have to praise God about? We sing it out loud and we can sing it together. What do you have to praise God about? I can tell you salvation. I can tell you it makes my heart happy to see. Sorry. God's coming. It makes my heart happy to see Les up on guitar when he's been sick. It's what, what else? Forgiveness. Beautiful. What else? Longevity. Family. Health. Love. My Savior. Fellowship. I, I want us to remember that, the, like, what we're doing. Like, we're worshiping all of what it is, and we have to give it to God and give Him praise. And it doesn't stop just when the song ends. Our life is that. Thank you, kids, for being an example of that, of yelling it out of what you find important, what you find valuable, what you praise God for. That is a blessing to us. You guys are all dismissed. I have to talk to the guys that got a B or lower. Okay? So you guys could go to class. All right, troublemakers. No. We're going to be in Genesis 28 today. We'll be uh, starting in verse 10. Now, as we enter this story... Uh, we are going to be going where we just sort of left off last week. Jacob has tricked his father and his brother and now has been given the blessing, the blessing from Abraham's covenant. And Rebekah, because she knows Esau, wants to kill Jacob, asks Isaac to send Jacob on his way to find a wife. Jacob will never see his mom again the consequences from last week. Jacob will be taking the journey that Abraham's servant took when he went to find his wife for Isaac. Hence, Isaac sends Jacob himself, not a servant. This is a radical change for Jacob because Jacob was the one of the two brothers that was the one that was the homebody. Esau was the woodsman. He was the hunter. And now Jacob no longer has a home. Bruce Walkie, he gives a great illustration, a small overall description of what's going on here. He says this, the setting of God's encounter with Jacob matches Jacob's psychological condition. The security of the sun has been replaced by the dangers of the night. The comfort of his parents' tent has been replaced by a rock. Behind me, 
Behind him lays Beersheba, where Esau wants to kill him. Ahead of him in Haran, where Laban waits to exploit, exploit him. He is situated between a death camp and a hard labor camp. And after the God of the fathers appears to him with the assurance of his presence, the sun rises upon a worshiping Jacob. Let's start in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Jacob had to leave. He is on his travels to find his wife, and his brother waits to bring harm to him. So on this journey, as he's going, at one point it becomes night. He can't travel anymore. He's got to sleep. He's got he's to lay down. He puts this rock here. Now, some people would say that this rock here is there are multiple reasons. One, to lay your head on, but also two, for protection. It's a, it's a weapon. I would also think that on this journey, he would have had some clothes there, would have known. This is a 500-plus mile trip. This is not just a, hey, I'm going to go to my neighbor's yard. This is, this is a journey, so you probably had it right there. So this rock is, is there. And we have to remember that as we are looking at this, and the great part about us is we get to see two stories. This is Jacob leaving, and he has an encounter with God. But if you know later, and we're going to be talking about this next week, is Jacob returns, and he has another encounter with God. This is the first of the two encounters on his journey. This is him leaving his home. This is him going to find a wife. And the dream is revealed to him, God's promises. One thing we have to realize, and what I want, wanted us to realize today, is point number one. You didn't get here by yourself. You did not get here. You one day didn't say, hey, I want to exist. Poof, there I am. You didn't get here by yourself. Think about all the deception before this story has even got into this point. Jacob has lied. He's dressed up in furry whatever to convince his father. He used God... God's name, when he said, oh, I found the hunt earlier, there is deception, there is, there's messed up, but God still made good on his promises. God has Jacob, the seed, still on course. Some of us look back at our lives and say, how did we get here? There is this supernatural working from God. Now, God gives us free will, and there is this beautiful aspect of God over us, working, connecting, and working with fallen humans. But some of us can look back at a couple aspects. One, some of us right now can look at an aspect and know God protected or guided you in a situation. Right, right now, you can think of that like God was there, he protected in a situation. And what's funny is it could have been even a bad decision by yourself. I've put myself in some bad situations that were not God-honoring, then I look back now and be like, how did God protect me from that? How did God guide me through that? I know that. 
And I also want us to realize that God uses humans. That we can, number two, is think of seeing humans play a part in shaping and directing our lives. Has there been someone that has shaped who you are? Can you think of someone? And maybe it's a godly man, maybe it's a godly woman, or someone who has shaped and guided you through that, and through that, that life, or maybe it's more than one. But I can tell you, on February 18, 2024, you did not get here by yourself. You did not get here by yourself. You can't create the life of breath. There's a dependence on God that is supernatural and works within the flesh. And I think one thing that we, we can't forget is there's only one of you. There's only one of you, and there will only be one of you, and there will only be one of you in this time frame. You did not get the time frame of before Christ. You didn't get the time frame of during Christ. You got the time frame of after Christ. What a blessing that is as well, that we get to know who Christ is. We are in this time frame. God has used you at a specific time for a specific moment. And God will continue to use you if you want to walk with him. Just like Jacob's story. We look at Jacob and we see all of his mess-ups, but God is still faithful to his promises, and he's still working. And in verse 12, it happens like this. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Jacob has this dream, and God, in his sovereign nature, shows the fuller nature to Jacob. He reveals the spiritual world to Jacob, away from all of Jacob's schemes. God will not be manipulated. God is showing Jacob the way things truly are. He is showing Jacob something special. He's showing him behind the thin veil. One, what does he show? He shows the stairway or flights of steps. He shows this connection point. Two, he shows Jacob the angels. Now, angels are messengers and ministering spirits that are sent and they're used and served by God. Now, the, the description of them ascending and descending is that of used to show the angels, uh, Walkie puts it like this, this is used to show the angels are working in the human realm and divine realm together. How cool is that? The God of the universe is working and he's connecting and he's working in the, what we see in unseen. And he's also showing what, the, what stood above it all was the Lord. God is the master He's on top of everything, spiritual and divine, human and natural. He is the king of kings. And he reminds Jacob that I'm the God of your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac. Jacob's faith is about to get real. Point number two, known or unknown, God is king. Known or unknown, God is king. That this is what I mean by known. This is like um, sometimes when we go, oh, I, I don't feel like God is there for me, or I don't know if God's there for me, and we have other people. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't. God is king. 
You have the free will to decide what you want, but it doesn't matter what you're like, oh, well, I think God's king. Well, I think God's not. No, it doesn't matter. God is king, and he sits on his throne, no matter if you believe or don't believe. And that has become one of our problems with our society today is we believe that it's about me. We have become so like, God is here for me. No, God loves you, but it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's about worshiping him. It's about he. You really want to grow in your spiritual faith? It's not about the introspective. It's not about you trying harder. No, it's about knowing who the king is. It's about obeying Jesus and seeking Jesus. I'm using my endpoints for at the beginning, but it's about the endpoint is knowing that Jesus is the one that is the veil. He's in between. He works. He is the 100% divine and 100% human. He was the one that sits at the right hand of God, and he's also the one that ate with fishermen. What a beautiful thing that he's the one that connects us, that we are able to be in his presence. To be able to walk that. And Jacob is experiencing a, a part of this. And knowing what the king is. And the problem is that so many of us is like, well, if I just try harder, God's going to love me more. Or if I do this. No, the world is not about your happiness. It's never been about your happiness. It's about walking in obedience and repenting and walking with the Father. And that is our path. And sometimes we get off of that. That's not to say we don't live in a natural world. Yes, we do. Problems happen. They go. And I'm not saying that that it isn't, but that's part of our natures. We're human. But we also know who is king of all. And when we forget that, that's where we struggle. Because the question I have is, do you feel God is the king of your life? Truly. Do you feel that he's the king over your politics, over your work? over your school, over your family, over your money, over your home, over your meals, over your sleep? Or does he just get certain parts of it? Is he really king? Is he really ruler over everything? Or does you just give him part of it because you want to experience heaven someday? Because it doesn't matter how it is. He's still king over everything. And when things get chaotic... When work gets chaotic, we start asking, God, are you there? When stuff, when political system starts happening, we wonder, God, are you there? We see lost friends and we ask, God, are you still there? Known or unknown, God is there. It doesn't mean things will work out the way we want. No, 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 God is still king. Even if he pulls fully away from America, God is still king. Even if destruction, here's a shocker, revelation's going to happen no matter if you want it to or not. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. We need to know who the king is. We need to know and walk in that obedience. And sometimes we forget that. Let's continue on. God says this. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I will be with you and will watch over you where 
wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wearsby says this. I love this. The Lord didn't rebuke Jacob for participating in Rebekah's scheme. Instead, he spoke words of promise and assurance to him. The same God who cared for his father and grandfather pledged to care for him and to give him the very land on which he was lying. He would also multiply his descendants and fulfill the promise to bring blessings through them to all the world. Point number three, God's promises are forever. We see so much of the natural world that we start becoming numb and forgetting who runs everything. God's promises are not just a cool saying. They are the foundation and the foundations to live by each and every day, each and every hour, each and every minute, each and every second. One of the promises that, that I cling to is to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. What a, what a gift with that. The reason why I asked earlier for you to talk is we're going to have another discussion right now. What promises, what promises stick out to you? Do you cling to? What promises of God cling, do you cling to? His abiding with you. It is well. His faithfulness. His forgiveness. Eternal life. His grace. God's promises are forever. He's not going to forgive one thing and not another. That's not in his nature. His forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his compassion. A beautiful. It's beautiful. They're forever. So we can say it as well with my soul because we know it is because we are walking with the King of Kings. And we are, if you've seen it, it's lining up that his promises are forever. This is not just some bystander. Do you know of someone in your life when they make a promise, you know that it's probably not happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you said you'll pick me up at two. I'll see you at four. Yeah, I'll see you then. Like the promises, like, no, God's word is not like your buddy down the street or whoever that is. His promises are everlasting and they are forever and promised for in a way that we have to cling to. Because I'm telling you, if you're clinging to anything else, it's not going to work out. And some of us are clinging to other things. It might be the work. If I just could get this promotion, then, uh. If I might be the way people view me, uh, those things are not lasting. God's promises are. Verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? That's what I'd be saying too. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob recognizes he is no longer in Kansas anymore. If you get that, you're at least over the age of 40. Uh, sorry. Are you no movies? Uh, how many of you 
have gone to, had a God or supernatural moment where you know that this isn't, an, this isn't a normal human thing happening. And here's the shocking thing. There's nothing normal about any of this. Really. If we really think about it, because even the scientists don't know how everything came from nothing. Like if we're just looking at it from a natural viewpoint, nothing, everything, nothing, pizza. Like what are we doing? Like they can't even get that. Like there's this, this, this fakeness to it. It's like, no, there needs to be a timeless creator, this being that that created all this. This is a supernatural. The breath that you have right now, like how amazing is that? I know that we take it for granted because it's become so natural, but that's what, it's a gift from God himself. Point number four, we live in a supernatural world. Yes, we live in what people would also say, natural world, we're human and all that, but we live in a supernatural. God has not left us and said, hey, I created this, I am gone. No, God is still with us. He is still working here. He is still a part of the world. God is sustaining us. He is sustaining you. And there is a a supernatural element that we miss so much. This dream that Jacob is having, it unveils that there's a supernatural world. We talked about this veil is being lifted because he is seeing this, this supernatural element, this, this world that he didn't recognize. And we must be aware, too, that fallen angels recognize what's going on, too, in this world today. Why do you think there's such a rise in witchcraft today? Why do you think there's, uh, there's sick rituals and there's other false gods all around? Why do you think that? It's because they want to make themselves God and, uh, to be worshipped. But there is only one true God. And they know this. So they have their limitations. It can never get to back to be 100% present and with the glory of God. Think about this. Have you ever done anything that, like, has changed the relationship so bad that you can never go back to it the same way. Now, it might have been a seventh grade breakup. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, But all of a sudden, the relationship has changed and you can never go back. Like, eh, that's never going to work again. That relationship, have you ever had that? Or you're like, oh man, made that mistake, could never do that. Now think about that, being in the presence of God, the most holy of holy, and then being a fallen angel and falling out of that and not being able to get back in that presence. To not being able to do that, to be able to process that. And then what they, what they are going to, there's just a supernatural. And then think about the angels that are working with God through the going up and down the ladder. They're working in the supernatural world and then also the natural world. They're working in this. What, there's so much going on that we don't even see or don't know about. It's, it's this beautiful thing. And I don't want to make it so simple, but have you ever had those moments? What moments have you had where you're like, God is in this moment? I've had moments where I've seen it. The first breath that I saw Jacelyn, my daughter, take was a God moment. I will never be able to get that out of my brain, realizing that God 
had given life. And the breath and the cry that had happened, and I was so happy to hear a child cry. Don't edit that on YouTube. <laughs> to cry. But all of a sudden, I realized there's this life there. God has sustained something. I couldn't do it. I can't make it. I didn't. There's something there, this magical, they're like, not magic, this, this God moment that you can't recreate. It only comes from God. We are human, and we are not angels. We are not supernatural in that way. I just don't want us to miss God. So verse 18 continues. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone and he had placed under his head and set it up on the pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I will take, I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. Let's just go through some key words here. First key word, that of a pillar. Now, the pillar is that of a, like a single, uh, as Walkie would say, it's a single upright stone. And it forms a, a, a wordplay with resting and stood. And the pillar would function as a witness and a monument to where the stairway of heaven and the Lord were standing there. Now, pouring oil on it would concentrate it. It would signify, it would mark it for its purpose. It would, it would it concentrate it for what it was meant to do. And so, and then he calls it Bethel, which means the house of God. And then Jacob makes this vow. And this vow overall plays a huge role in the foundation of Jacob and what will become Israel and the seed's future. Rob says this, the vow reordinates Jacob's journey. The journey had originated as a flight to avoid assassination and the trip to find a wife suitable to his parents. Now, however, Jacob's journey becomes a pilgrimage with theological content. He goes to the same place for much the same purpose, but now he travels as a carrier of God's promises with divine assurance of aid. In turn, accompanied by God's traveling mercies, Jacob has committed himself to living with Yahweh as his God. The promises and the vow transform Jacob's journey as surely as an encounter with God changed a stony place into a sanctuary. If you were to get hit by a semi-truck, would it change your life? Probably. Yeah. It would probably change some things, depending on the, how you got hit. When you encounter Jesus, it's like getting hit by a semi-truck. And if you say your life hasn't changed by getting hit by a semi-truck, maybe you aren't following Jesus. 
What's your life look like after encountering Jesus? Like right here, this is Jacob is being encountered by God. The, the, he is, there's this, this moment, and we talked about it in Sunday school. This is when the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, is now becoming the God of Jacob. He is now personally following him. This is when it's personal. What is great about Jesus, he now has allows that through the Holy Spirit for us to encounter the same God. This is beautiful. It is a beautiful illustration that so many times we're like, oh, we see it as God only working in the past. God is working now. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe in the God that is king of all. God is working now. When did you get hit by a semi-truck? Mine was when I was about eight or nine. I was a kid that grew up in a little bigger church than this, but it had the pews just like that. And I was one that loved to crawl under them. I played MacGyver way too much as a kid. I was, in one story, my brothers tied me up to a tree, thought I could get out. Three hours later, I was still there. Couldn't do it. But another story, another day. As you're going, but I was that kid. I was eight or nine. I knew better. But eh, I was at church. Everything was cool. Then my dad spoke one Sunday, so I had to pay attention. Because other times I really wasn't. And all of a sudden, though, I started realizing who Jesus was, who God was. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a sinner? I, I do sin. <laughs> I've cheated. I've lied. And all of a sudden, it starts feeling like, well, okay, what does that look like in my own life? And I'll tell you, it took a huge jump when I was on a missions trip in the Dominican Republic, and I was down there and I experienced God working in my life and in other people's lives. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm getting hit by, by this God that loves me and I don't know why he loves me. Because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And none of us do. We talked about it down there. Sue had one of the best lines ever. We're all failures. <laughs> We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. But God is still faithful. That's why this, this supernatural thing I'm talking about today is that God is still working with us. He didn't leave us. He didn't le hasn't left you. And wherever you are right now, you might be depressed. You might be down. You might be angry. You might be mad. You might be whatever. God hasn't left you. God hasn't left us. God is still with you in this. And what a beautiful thing that is. And I don't want us to forget that. You can't run into God and not be changed. You can't. Now, there will be some people that will try to avoid Jesus like the plague. They do. They don't want him to rock them. And there are some that want to live their way so much that they will. But it's their free will. And God is so loving and kind, he will not force it upon them. As we see in this dialogue between God and Jacob, Jacob wants to make sure he gets back home. So he does say, if God, you do this. So God had already a couple sentences earlier said he was going to do this. Now, some people don't believe this is a big deal. Some people believe, but some people like this is still Jacob still trying to manipulate He's still trying to handle the situation. Shocker. Any of you try to continue to manipulate situations? 
No? Okay, good. Then we can move on. Didn't know that you guys were all so good at that. No, we try to manipulate or handle situations. We look at the whole past situations of Rebecca and Isaac and Esau, and they're trying to handle the situations all on their own. They don't go to God. They aren't obedient to God. They, they continue to navigate, and then we see Jacob still doing it. It's still in his nature. He's still fallen. He isn't fixed 100% yet, and that, but God's still faithful to him, still walking with him. This reminds me a lot. We'll jump to this, though. Verse number five, though, or point number five. Humans are in an eternity heavenly battle. The thing is, is sometimes our problem is, just like we were talking about, we like to manipulate or we like to do whatever is we try to do spiritual battles naturally through the flesh when they actually need to be spiritual battles. Jacob still wants to control part of the situation, just like us. And God is patient and kind and loving, and he still will fulfill his promises. The one... This reminds me of the story of Elisha. Now, this is in 2 Kings. I'm not going to go through it all. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. You should read it. It's awesome. It's about basically Elisha telling one of his servants and having his servants have his eyes opened to see actually what is happening. I'm just going to read just a, one part of it right here. He says this, and the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Because he's now, they're surrounded. They're surrounded. There's this army here. And uh, Elisha says this, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What? We're surrounded. We don't have that many people. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and he said, Please strike the, this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. So why do you think the prophet Elijah saw the army before everyone else did? Why did he see God's army? It's because he spiritually walked with God. His first step was to walk with the Father, not his second step. The problem with, I think, us a lot of times is our first step is to take a natural step. Like, hey, I'll take care of the situation. I'll handle it. And if I can't, then I'll go to God. And then we always say that we want to seek God, we'll go to God in prayer, but usually first we want to go naturally to handle it ourselves. When we're supposed to go to the Father, we're supposed to seek Him. Now, when we say we fast and pray, we're still human. Fasting, our stomachs are going to hurt when we meet, don't do lunch. It's going to. It's physical. It's still part of us. 
But that does not mean that we aren't in a spiritual battle as well. God hears our prayers. That leads back to the promises that we talked about earlier. God hears us. God cares for us. He pursues us. I'm going to close with this story. I was going to have him come up and say it, but then I realized that he couldn't get through it. Most of you know uh, Brian Moore. If you don't, uh, for example, um, he is an elder of this church. He helps run the AV. He helps run the leadership team. He is the backbone of almost every section of this church. He really, he plays a huge, huge part. And it was his relationship with me at Camp Mac and Camp Blast that has led me to this church. Because without him, probably would not have had that relationship. When I think of Brian, I think of a man that gets the job done. Just do. I do love messing with him, though. I asked if I could tell this story, and he said yes. Remember this full story? Sometimes I mess with him so much, I'll even say, hey, I'll say, hey, can you get this done? He'll be like, I don't know. I go, well, okay, if, if you can't do it, I know Jeff can, and then it will be done in four minutes. Because he's a guy that loves to get things done. This is who he is. That's in his nature. He is a fixer, and I love our relationship. And it has grown over the years, and it's been a blessing. But I will tell you this, the last month has been different for Brian. There's a part of Brian that is dealing with a new grandbaby, a grandbaby that was so excited to uh, meet his parents and them, she decided to come out three months early. But with that comes a lot of health issues, a lot of complications. And I know that this has been a difficult time for Brian and his family. And if you really want to know why, it's because there is absolutely nothing Brian can do to fix the situation. Physically. He cannot become a NICU doctor in the next three months. He can't draw blood. There's nothing literally that he can do naturally for the baby. He can be there for his family. He can be there for the kids. He can, he can do all that kind of stuff, which he is. But there's nothing he can do. But there's something interesting that I've been able to notice about Brian the last couple weeks as I get the texts of the updates and the prayer that I've known that he's gotten closer with God. I can guarantee you that he has sought the Father. I know that he's trying to help out the daughter and everyone the best that he can. And the best thing that he can actually do the best thing that he can actually do is to hand his life over to the one that has the ultimate power and to hand the baby's life over to the one that has the ultimate power. 
He's in the process of seeking Jesus and through the veil, going to him to be able to go to the Father and to be able to seek him. I wish it didn't take times to struggle to bring people closer to God, to bring people closer to each other. But what we are talking about here today is not a salvation issue. We all know Brian has been saved by grace alone. This is about an intimacy issue. And the question is, how intimate do you want to be with God? What is the intimacy level that you seek to be with the Father? When there are times of struggles or different times that are hard, we get to see God work in ways we would never imagine. And this part I hate to say, but I don't know what is going to happen with the baby today or tomorrow. I know though, Brian and his family have seen miracles day by day by day. And they give God glory for that. But I don't know God's ultimate plan, but I do know, and Brian has told me this, Brian now has said, I think in an eternity perspective, and it changes everything. Because I know if something does happen, I get to spend eternity with that child as of right now. Do you think that is from a spiritual context or a natural? It's spiritual. And this is him not, no longer seeing the perspective as a man, as a flesh, he is now walking and seeing through the eyes of God, seeing through the living his life in that perspective. It's one thing to say, hey, oh, I missed my seven o'clock movie time. I'll hit the 815. It's another thing when you see your, your grandbaby there. And that is where he is walking and he is leading. And I'm asking you, where are you at in that? You don't have to be in that situation. This is, a, this is an eternal, this is a spiritual view. God is in charge. And we are to be obedient. What, uh, what levels of intimacy do you want with the Lord? If you want true intimacy with the Lord, you must humble yourself and to seek after Jesus, the one that is between the veil, the one that is connecting us. He sits on his throne. Don't be like the people of the Tower of Babel. And the reason why you're like, oh, Tower of Babel. No, if you don't see a connection there, the Tower of Babel was them trying to raise themselves up to be like God, to raise themselves up. And then all of a sudden, Jacob all alone has a rock and God comes down to him. Oh, it's beautiful. God is beautiful in these stories. But as we leave today, and as we sing, think about, you didn't get here by yourself. God is king. And his promises are forever. And we live in a world where he has not left us, and he is with us, where God is still active. And we are in a heavenly battle till our last breath and then we are fully with him. Let us sing.